0: Well, it's been said a number of times already in the service, but happy Mother's Day to all your mothers, including adoptive, foster, and stepmothers who are worshiping with us today online and also uh, in person here at Central Campus, as well as the other campuses that are meeting together in Airdrie, Bears Paw, Bridgeland, and South Calgary. Mothers, I hope that you have a wonderful weekend, that you feel appreciated, and loved and that your loved ones will go out of their way a bit this weekend to spoil you just a tad uh, today for all that you do for your encouragement and for all your wisdom and wit I'm reminded of the story of the little girl who asked her mother um, how did the human race come to be and her mother answered well dear it's like this God made Adam and Eve and they had children and their children had children and so on and so on and that is how the human race came to be. A Couple of days later, the girl asked her father the same question. Her father responded saying, well, dear, it's like this. Many years ago, there were monkeys and over time they evolved into the human race as we know it today. The girl returned to her mother and said, mom, I'm really confused. I mean, you tell me the human race was created by God And dad tells me we developed from monkeys. And how is that possible? The mother sighed and said, well, dear, the answer is really very simple. I told you about my side of the family and your father told you about his. Okay. Time to get serious. Today, I want to talk to you about letting go and letting God do what only he can do. Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you're holding on to with a white knuckled grip? Are there any fears or for that matter, are there any desires you obsess over in your mind? Some people are anxious about their health or their finances or their safety. Others struggle with fear of failure at work, or at school, or in their business, or in their marriage. Still others obsess over a deep desire to be married, or to have a family, or to get a certain position, or to live a certain lifestyle. Mother's Day reminds us that many parents struggle immensely holding their children with an open hand. We all struggle with letting go. Our natural inclination is to want to be in control, to hold tightly to those things that we love, that we value, and that we desire or want. And yet the Bible repeatedly emphasizes that whatever you hang on to and refuse to release and commit to God will be the source of your greatest frustration, anxiety, and unhappiness. It's with that in mind that I want us to learn from Psalm 127 that was written by King Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. Gonna invite you to stand and join me in reading this scripture together. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, its instruction for life. And Lord, I pray that today you would help us to identify those things that we're holding on to tightly. And you would teach us, Lord, what it means to let it go, to trust you. To do what only you can do. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in this psalm, King Solomon gives three principles on how to build a life a life that isn't wasted, a life that isn't meaningless, but how to live a life that matters, a life that has eternal impact. And the first and most crucial step in building a life that has eternal impact is to trust God and to follow him. This is the key focus of this psalm. In verse 1, Solomon uses the image of a house, and he says, "...unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain." In other words, you can choose to build your life in one of two ways. You can build it with God or without God. Whether you're building your career or your business or your ministry, your marriage, your family, or your personal life, you have a choice. You can go it alone or you can put your trust in God and follow his leadership. And Solomon is essentially saying in the task of building anything earthly but especially in the task of building your life and the lives of the people that you love you are setting yourself up for major disappointment if you don't include God in your life the truth is until we realize that God is God and we are not Until we realize that there are certain things that God never intended for us to carry or to fret about, we will never experience the kind of life and the kind of family life that he desires for us. Let me give you a few examples of where parents need to let go and let God do what only he can do. First of all, some parents struggle with letting go of the need to be perfect parents. Roger Thompson says, today we have a new kind of syndrome. It's the hyper-parent, also known today by some as the helicopter parent. I'm talking about the panic-stricken parent who feels that, unless they do everything right in the way they interact with their child, And unless they expose their child to every opportunity that's out there, their child will not only miss their path to stardom, but might even end up failing in life. And one day will blame mom and dad and resent them the rest of their lives. Well, Psalm 127 says, we need to decompress. Look again at the first word of this psalm. Unless, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. If God isn't building your life, if he isn't building your marriage and your family, you'll never build it successfully. We can't work hard enough to make it succeed. If your life is frenzied, if you are feeling panic-stricken and guilt-ridden and run off your legs... Chances are high that you're trying to do far more than God ever intended for you to do. Or, you're trying to take God's place and do what only He can do. You need to let go and let God. A second area many parents struggle with letting go is the need to be savior and protector of their children from any kind of harm. When our children are younger, we are particularly concerned about their physical safety. Some parents won't go out for a couple of months or even more because they can't bring themselves to trust anyone to care for their child. Still others won't go to church for years because they won't risk leaving their kids in children's ministry. When our children become teenagers, We struggle trusting their judgment in the choice of friends and what they will do after high school. Now make no mistake, as parents, God has put us into the lives of our children to guide them and to protect them. And yet look what Solomon goes on to say in the second part of the first verse. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You can do everything in your power to control and to try to protect the lives of your children, but you will always be on edge and never sleep soundly if you don't daily release them into the protective care of God. Pastor Nick Lilo shares how after the tragic shooting at Columbine High School, which took the lives of 12 students, and a faculty member, a teacher. Many parents, concerned for the ongoing safety of their children, decided to pull them out of Columbine High and put them into private schools. But here's the thing, no place or situation is truly safe. Two weeks before the tragedy at that school, if you had asked the parents if they thought it was a safe school, Oh, they would have said, of course, it's a great school. It's in a safe part of town. In fact, one of the fathers whose son was tragically killed in that shooting, he moved his son from a school in another district to Columbine High precisely because he believed it was a safer school. Folks, there are no safe places. You see, we have to settle this question about what is true safety and security in life? Our world is broken and is not what God intended to be when he first created it. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, and every person since then has gone their own way rather than God's way, we live in a world that is broken it's filled with evil and pain and suffering and so true safety and security cannot be found on this planet it can only be found in Jesus Christ and you say how so well unless Jesus returns first we're all going to die one day can we accept that death may come when we're young and that's hard Death may come when we're old. It may come through an accident. It may come through ill health. It may come as an act of violence. But it will come to each of us. And when death comes, the only thing that's going to matter in that moment is your relationship with Jesus. And I say that because Jesus, God the Son, came to our planet not only to teach us what matters most in life, and how to live this life to the full. But he also came to die in our place and to make a way for us to become a friend of God. But Jesus didn't just die to save us. He also rose from the grave to give us eternal life. He's very much alive today, folks. We worship and serve a living Savior. Amen? And so even though we may die in this life because He lives, we too shall live with Jesus forever in the next life if we put our trust in Him. And friends, that is true safety and security. It's the only source of true safety and security. And that is why we say that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so, yes, we need to protect our loved ones in this life. But the greatest thing that we can do to protect them is to introduce them to Jesus, where they will be forever safe and secure in him. And then thirdly, some parents have trouble letting go of their regret. Now I've talked to enough people to know that there are parents who in public seem very respectful and pleasant, and yet in in private are tyrants, who neither express regret or sorrow for their selfish and abusive behavior, and make little or no effort to change their ways. and. In some cases continue to mess up their kids royally even into adulthood. I'm aware of that and that is so unfortunate and and it's understandable why some children just can't be around them very much if at all. But I'm thinking of parents who were not perfect parents but did their best to be good parents with the knowledge and the resources that they had and yet are enduring gut-wrenching guilt and sleepless nights because their child is blaming them for all that's wrong in his or her life and not only refuses to accept their plea for forgiveness and their their plea for reconciliation but won't even call them once in a while. Well, if you're a parent that's facing this, I want you to look at verse 2. In vain... You rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. In other words, he's saying, parents, when you've done all that you can do to make things right, God wants you to stop punishing yourself. He wants you to stop all the frenzied attempts to fix things in your own strength and instead to let go. And leave your relationship with your son or daughter in God's hands. Now we know God loves all of his creation. And so when Solomon says here, he grants sleep to those that he loves. He's referring to those who have a close relationship with him. And he's saying that one of the byproducts of being a friend of God and casting your cares fully on him is you're going to experience his rest and his peace. You're going to be able to sleep again, knowing that God is at work responding to your prayers and your concerns, even while you sleep. And so the first and most important principle that Solomon gives here for those who want to build a life that has eternal impact is to trust God and to follow him. Whatever it is you do, God wants to be involved. In fact, he wants to be in charge. And that requires us to let go and surrender ourselves and our responsibilities to his control. It's going to require us to say a prayer, something like, "Lord, I trust you. I believe that you're good, that you're a faithful God, and I have and that you have my my best interest at heart in all things." And so I'm letting go. I'm letting go of my need to be perfect. I'm letting go of my need to be God in the life of my children. I'm letting go of my regrets. I'm giving you my business, my ministry, my work. Build it for your glory, not mine. I'm giving you control of my marriage, my family. Build us together for your glory. I'm giving you control of my future. Build it for your glory. I will do my part, Lord. I will do what you ask me to do, but you're in charge, you're the boss. Please show me what you want me to do and how you want me to do it. And friend, when you do that, when you pray that, when you let go and let God take control, you will experience a peace that surpasses all human understanding. Steve May says, when you give God responsibility for your life, he takes it. He handles it. Does this mean that things will always work out the way you want them to? No. Better than that. It means things will always work out the way the Lord allows them to. He's got the big picture in mind, folks. You can trust him. Romans 8.28 teaches when you let go and you give God responsibility for your life, for your marriage, for your family, whatever it is, You can face every day with the assurance that he will cause all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, to work together for his ultimate glory and for your ultimate good. My question is, have you done that? Have you released everything to God? I'm going to give you opportunity to do that at the end of this message. The second principle to building a life that has eternal impact is to remember that God is the owner and you are not. Look at verse three. Children are heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from them. Now when Solomon says children are a heritage from the Lord and a reward and so forth, he's not saying that we earned them or that we won some kind of lottery. No, they're a blessing, they're a gift from his gracious hand as is everything else that we have and enjoy in life that we often take for granted. Our health, our abilities, our talents, our possessions, our family, our friends, our salvation, our relationship with God. Every breath, every heartbeat is a gift extended to us from the gracious hand of God. In fact, they are more than a gift. They are a trust. We are called by God to be stewards or managers of everything he entrusts to us. Though he gives us the time and gives us the uh, abilities and talents and the money that we have for our enjoyment, he calls us to properly manage them and that we not become possessive of them, but that we are generous with all that he's given to us. Well, this principle applies to our parenting role as well. Let's be honest, it's easy for us to get possessive of our children and to forget that they are given to us as a trust from God. When parents think that they are the owners of their children, they begin to use their children to meet their own needs. They begin to live their lives vicariously through their children. For example, a father will pressure his son to play a certain sport or to achieve a, a certain status in the corporation in order to fulfill his own frustrated competitiveness or failure in his own life. Or a mother will attempt to fulfill her need for recognition through her daughter's grades or her daughter's looks, talents, or who she marries. David Alkine says when Young people assume that parents are concerned only with how well they do rather than love and appreciate them just for who they are. The need to achieve becomes addictive. Folks, children are not given to us to achieve status or vicarious success. They are not given so that our needs will be met. As parents, no, the major reason we're given children is so we can be used of God to meet their needs, to point them to Christ, to learn to turn to Christ in their time of need, to instill in them what really is important in life, and to help them discern and fulfill God's calling for their lives. The sooner we let go of the notion that we are owners of our children and let God have his way in their lives and give our children the freedom to pursue what God wants them to pursue rather than what we want them to pursue, the more contented we will be and the more they will flourish in life. Which leads to Solomon's third principle. To build a life that has eternal impact, you need to do what God calls you to do. I want you to notice again in verse one that the psalmist does not say, since God is building the house, we can just sit back and let him do it all. No, he assumes that the builder must keep building, that the guards must keep watching. So what is our role then? in building the lives of our children in the way of the Lord? Well, first of all, God calls us to point them in the right direction. Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Now, the metaphor of an arrow can suggest a number of things. In verse 5, Solomon says, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, you see, in, a, in, a, in an agrarian or an agricultural economy, having a lot of children was a blessing to parents because it was kind of like a social security net because they would protect their parents physically. They would defend their parents' character. and They would care for them in their old age. But the part of the metaphor I want to focus on is that the task of a warrior is to point the arrow in the right direction. However, to point them in the right direction requires that we know what the right direction is and that we're headed in that direction ourselves. So let me ask you, when when was the last time that you took the better part of a day or even more with your spouse and examined your values, the things that you're investing your life in? filling your calendar with and what will matter most to you when it's all said and done. You see, too often we just simply embrace the lifestyle of our culture. We just jump in on the daily treadmill of activity that everybody else is on without ever asking ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing and why am I putting my kids through all of this? The Apostle Paul said, For me to live is Christ. He was very clear about what his highest value was. Christ was at the center of everything. He was and did. Are you clear on what your highest value is? For you to live is what? If your highest value is money, then a lot of your time is going to be spent thinking about money, making money, talking about money with those around you, including your spouse and your family. If your highest value is career success or fame, then again, much of your time, your energy and your conversation is going to revolve around those particular themes. On the other hand, if Jesus is your highest value, then he won't just be one part of an already overcrowded schedule. No, he will be at the center of all you think about, talk about, and do. He will permeate your life. And what does permeate mean? To permeate means literally to pass through the pores of something. If Jesus is at the center of your life, he will pass through the pores of your life. It will be evident to everyone who knows you, including your children, that you truly love Jesus and live for him. You see, it's impossible for me to communicate to my child a truth or a principle that I do not personally embrace. In other words, you can't give what you don't have. Put another way, nothing happens through you unless it's happening to you. And so when we pray together with our children on a regular basis about a concern that they have or friends that they want to introduce to Jesus and we celebrate what God is doing in the lives of those that we're praying for, our children learn that prayer matters and makes a difference. When we devote some of our family time to genuinely serving others in our community or in our church, our children learn That people matter to God and that quality family time involves more than just self-centered fun activities, going to Disney and all those kind of things, but being on mission together to serve others and to introduce others to Jesus. When our children see us resist buying things that we want but really don't need, In order to free up more money to give to the poor and the mission of the church that Christ is building, they learn the importance of investing their money in the eternal things of God rather than the temporary things of man. When they hear us talk often about Jesus, when they see us seek the Lord's assignments during the day and respond to those assignments with obedience, they learn that knowing God And worshiping God is not limited to the 90-minute worship service on the weekend, but is also an active, ongoing, daily friendship with Jesus. When we live with purity and integrity and we deal with one another and others graciously and with respect, when we live life wholeheartedly and keep on keeping on despairing Despite adversity and rejection and criticism, we model Christ like character to our children. When we turn the television off and we limit screen time in order to relax and enjoy playing as a family and to listen and to share with one another as a family, we're teaching our children they are a priority and they're enjoyable to spend time with. I can still recall when our boys were still living with us, which is now a long time ago, how I had some of the most meaningful heart-to-heart conversations with them during the downtimes. On one occasion during a bike ride, one of our sons asked me about my battle with cancer. And his question allowed me to talk to him about my conviction that God is a good God that he has my best interests at heart, and he can be totally trusted. It gave me an opportunity to let him know that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, God will use whatever he allows to come our way for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. On another occasion, one of our boys asked why I decided to be a pastor. And I was able to share with him how God called me to full-time ministry and all that was involved in that. You know, often our dreams for our children are far too small and tend to focus too much on the temporary rather than the eternal. I mean, think about it. We want them to get a good education. We want them to find a career, to settle down, marry a good and a godly person, buy a house with a white picket fence, have kids and live happily ever after. That's kind of the Canadian-American dream, is it not? And there's nothing wrong with that. But when that's all that matters to us and ends up being all that matters to them, we've missed it. We've forgotten the main reason that God created us and placed us in Calgary for such a time as this. Nothing should be more important to us than teaching our kids through our life to love and to live for Jesus. And to point others to Jesus by loving and serving them. But you see, this isn't going to happen by accident. We're called to sharpen our arrows, our children. And then through our walk and our talk to point them in the right direction. And what's the right direction? (laughs) It's Jesus. But then the arrow has to be let go, doesn't it? It has to be sent to fulfill its purpose. And this is not easy because we delight in our children. But parenting has as its ultimate goal, letting them go to fulfill God's call in their lives. Children are arrows. And the most important role you can play throughout your time of parenting, and particularly when they leave the nest and move on with their lives is to pray for them. By praying, you're acknowledging to God That your example, your words, your life, though important, isn't enough. You're acknowledging through prayer that you need God to do what you can't do in the life of your children. There isn't anything more important. A greater task you can perform once your children leave than to pray regularly for them. I'll close with this. Over 20 years ago, when I did a lot of speaking outside of Center Street, I spoke to over 10,000 men in Toronto at a Promise Keeper event. One of the other speakers was evangelist and singer Lowell Lundstrom. And near the end of his talk, he shared the heart-wrenching story of his daughter, Lisa. The Lundstroms traveled in a tour bus ministering at citywide outreach services across North America. What they didn't realize was that their public ministry was creating a lot of stress in Lisa, their second daughter. Lisa never really enjoyed singing before audiences like her siblings did, in part because she was beginning to base herself worth on the basis of how audiences were responding to her in comparison to how they were responding to her sister and brother. Lisa felt that she had had to be perfect. But when she realized she could not achieve that, she vowed, if I can't be good enough at being perfect, then I'll be good at being bad. Over time, she began doubting her father's love and approval as well that she wasn't good enough, that she didn't meet his expectations. Well, when Lisa left home for college, she began to seek affirmation in all the wrong places. She began hanging out with people that were going out to nightclubs, partying night after night. During this time, Lisa met a guy who accepted her, but as the relationship continued, he lured her into a life of prostitution. He convinced her that this was the road to freedom. This was the ticket to financial security apart from her parents. Lisa says, at that point, I snapped. I said, I'm worthless, my parents don't really care, no one cares, so why not? The first hint Lowell got that anything was seriously wrong with Lisa came in the form of a call from the police department informing him that Lisa had been picked up for prostitution. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. His daughter, a prostitute? Impossible. He kept saying, it's got to be someone else's daughter, not mine, not my Lisa. He said it felt like getting hit with a cement block in the chest. My knees nearly buckled, I felt close to fainting. My wife Connie and I had dedicated Lisa to the Lord as a baby, we raised her on Bible stories, gospel songs and prayer, and yet here she was working for what a judge would later describe as the worst pimp in the region at the age of 20. Despite numerous attempts, Lisa rejected her parents And disappeared. Years went by, and they didn't know whether she was dead or alive. Lowell says there was nothing that we could do but to pray. And so he summoned intercessors to pray. Everywhere he went, he started asking people to pray for Lisa. Night after night in his dreams, he would replay scenes from Lisa's childhood, he tormented himself, reviewing his failure to recognize her hurts and her needs. Added to that, some of his friends began distancing themselves from him, while others felt that he wasn't fit to preach, given his daughter's sinful lifestyle. And then on a very dark day, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, Lowell, what did God do wrong that the devil went bad? Suddenly, a ray of hope burst through the darkness. The condemnation that tormented his soul lifted as he began to realize that even though he had made mistakes as a father, he wasn't totally responsible for Lisa's actions. So with his wife and family's encouragement, he determined to keep on keeping on. The devil said, you'll never see Lisa serve God again. I've got her, it's no use praying. Over nine years passed. Can you believe that? Nine years passed, but the Lundstrom family kept praying and believing for God to do what only he could do. Then one night, Lisa made a call on a customer. She soon discovered that he was a serial killer who had murdered 18 women already. After terrorizing her for over two hours, he put the knife to her throat, preparing to kill her. In desperation, she cried out to God and said, Oh God, don't let me die like this. And then something totally unexpected happened. Rather than killing her, the serial killer suddenly set her free, went into another room and committed suicide. It was a defining moment in Lisa's life. For too long, she had believed and thought that she could never come back to God. But this changed everything. Shortly thereafter, Lisa called her parents informing them that she wanted to come home It was the happiest day of their lives. They were ministering in Canada at the time, and so they just dropped everything, rented a moving van and drove nonstop until they were reunited with their precious hurting daughter. The terrible nine and a half year ordeal was over. And since then, God has used Lisa to impact thousands of people with her story. And the night I heard Lowell share Lisa's story, this is what he said that he learned from that nightmare. He said, when I could do no more, I learned to release. I learned to commit to trust and to pray. Friends, whoever or whatever it is that concerns you today. Once you have done all that you can do, you need to let go and let God do what only He can do. God loves that child, or whoever it is you're thinking about right now, more than you do. You may be thinking, oh, but pastor, I haven't done a very good job as a parent. And I say, welcome to the club. There are no perfect mothers or fathers, just forgiven ones. We can go through endless hand-wringing about what has been, what could have been, what should have been, or we can ask our children to forgive us. And then like Paul, forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. We can focus on the promises of God and believe that starting today, God can create beauty where there once was ashes. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Would you please bow your heads, close your eyes. Just ask those two questions. Take a moment to do that. God, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you calling me to do about it? What's a step you want me to take now? I can't redo the past, but Lord, what I can still do. I'm still in a position to do something now. What is that, Lord? Earlier in the message, I said I'd give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of surrender, giving control of your life, your marriage, your family, or whatever else it is that concerns you today, over to God. I'm gonna invite you to join me right now in praying this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm letting go. I'm giving my entire life to you. Please forgive me for my stubborn pride and refusal to trust you to let go. I'm asking you from this moment forward to be the boss of my life, to take control. I commit to doing my part, Lord, to follow you and to obey you, to being who it is you want me to be and to doing what it is you want me to do. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now some of you have a Lisa in your life. Some of you have a son or a daughter. You have a mom or a dad. You have a brother or a sister. Or you have a close friend who's far from God, perhaps even running from God. Well, we're gonna close our time together by singing a song that reminds us of the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And while we're singing together, I'm gonna invite you to take a step of faith on behalf of your Lisa, whoever that is, just to make your way up here while we're singing. And if, go to the front of whatever campus you're part of, not only to commit to faithfully praying for them, but also to say a prayer for them that like Lisa, they would see their need for God and turn around and come back home to Jesus. And So while we're singing this closing song, come forward, pray for the person that you love and care about. And when you're through praying, you can just make your way back to the seat.